Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney, and today is one of our HR's Rolling series, I'm really pleased to be joined by one of the fabulous HR indies, Katie McMinn. Uh, Thanks, Katie, for joining. I know many of you have heard us before. Um, In a moment, Katie, I'll get you just to briefly introduce the HR independents. I know people have heard if they've joined on one of our other series of them. We're working together with the HR independents, Actisar, um, really in partnership with you in lots of ways. But I think it's good if people can hear what it is that you offer in terms of your membership. Um, to people and the topic we're going to focus in on today the specialist topic is all about recruitment so it's HR's role in recruitment whether you're an independent or whether you're in an organization so over to you Katie say hello for people who haven't met you before (laughs) thank you Lucinda hi there absolutely delighted to to join Lucinda today so thanks ever so much for having me Uh, so yeah You've said, Lucinda, uh, Katie McMinn, I'm one of the co-founders and directors of HR Independence. So we launched now, it's crazy to think, actually, we launched um, last September, the end of September. Uh, it seems to have flown by in some ways and then in other ways, it's, it seems to have been such a long time ago. But we, we launched last September as the UK body for independent HR and people professionals. So what, what does that actually mean? Um, so we have launched and really our goal is to provide support and resources to the, the independent um, the, the independent profession, so HR and people professionals, to really help help um, them grow and develop their businesses, really. So all of those, those um, sort of resources, all of the support that, that people need when they're running their own consultancy. And then what we also do is, you know, we're, we're absolutely passionate about really pushing up standards as well. And so um, what we really want to do is, is really promote our, our accredited members as well. We have platinum accredited members and who we've assessed against our standards. So they're, they're really professional, um, experienced individuals. And so we, we promote those to, um, to, to the business community as well. I That's think just great. some of what we do. Yeah, it's great what you're doing because I, it was was missing, right? The massive gap. It's, yeah. when you look back, it's mad, mad that it was missing in the marketplace. And I suppose yeah. the point of this really is that we know that if you, whether you are an independent HR consultant or whether you are standalone HR person or even independently minded, I know you appeal to all of those mm-hmm. groups, um, mm-hmm. that uh, you, you can't be an expert at everything. Right, can you? Yeah, this is yes. so that's why we thought focusing in on some of these specialist areas because people turn to HR professionals and expect you to be experts in such a wide range, you can't possibly be so. So, exactly, that's how we drill into these specialist topics. And also, I'll put links in the show notes to the HR website, but I know you've also got some resources that support each one of these um, modules that yes. people can download if they want them. 
That's right. Yes. So as, as you've said, we're doing we're doing a, sort of a number of these um, specialist topics and each of those will be accompanied by a resource that we'll be hosting on, on the, the HR Independence website. So, yeah, you'll be able to. Yeah, so you don't have to make loads of notes. You can go to that, go and download <laughs> no. resources if you want. OK, That's fantastic. Right. Recruitment is an interesting one. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I think this is one of the areas that our line managers often feel that they have to do it's one of those ones that people perhaps know more about or think they know more about so probably mm-hmm. that means there's more risks that we can um for play into I guess in terms of areas but I mean what would you say in terms of why is it so important to do it right if you're an mm-hmm. HR and an HR professional in terms of recruitment what's the key things we should be thinking about Sure. So so with recruitment, as you've said, it is one of those areas that so many different people do touch on when you're working in an organisation. People will have different touch points and feel that they, they have a, an awareness and, and a knowledge. And I think where HR, as you say, either in-house or if um, you're working as an external HR professional, what, what they can really focus on and help on is making sure that the recruitment that you do with an organisation first of all, is is successful because getting it wrong, it, it can actually, it can be quite costly. It can be costly both in terms of time and, and in terms of money. And I think we all know that when we go into a, a recruitment exercise, it does take a lot of time to, to hire people. Uh, it does take a lot of time to get the right person. And if you do get it wrong, first of all, what that means is you have to go back to the drawing board and start all over again. But it can also be financially costly if you have actually gone down the route of advertising or you've paid recruitment agency fees, which can which can sometimes be quite steep. Now, it may be that you do secure somebody, you do hire somebody through some of those processes. But if you don't get it quite right, what that can actually mean is you've brought somebody on board who isn't isn't actually delivering that in that role or, you know, even worse, is, is sort of what we call sort of a poor performer. That in turn, again, leads to much more management time. Um, so by making sure that thought goes into the overall hiring process right from the start and with that support from, from an, the, the sort of the HR side of things, there's certain things that, that you can you can think about to try and um, try and maximise success there. So it's thinking about your employer brand. I know we'll go through some of these, but thinking about your employer brand, thinking about what actually is that role. Have you got that, that job description? Do you know what you're looking for? Do you know? what you're looking for and what the organization actually needs for the future thinking about um how are you actually going to go out there how are you actually going to attract the right person um and uh, with the, with the right skills and what are those selection methods going to be um all of those those sorts of things so there's, there's lots to think about but when you break it down and when you do have somebody supporting you through that process that's when as i say you can maximize the likelihood of it being a, a successful a successful hire it's interesting the point uh, this layers into I've done quite a number of webinars and podcasts on onboarding and mm-hmm. when you do a bit of homework on that it's clear that um, sometimes whether it's poor recruitment or poor on- onboarding or both you can mm. lose like up to a third I think of people within well within like six months to two years and if you think mm-hmm. if you have paid an agency 20% of salary and that they're outside of the refund then that's a lot of money um not just that. And, and the whole sort of leaving a gap in the team and the invest in yeah. training people up so it's so right it's so important to get it right and that whole thing about employer brand um mm-hmm. I mean I suppose it's about having a positive or negative employer brand I say it's probably you say it's probably completely separate podcast on its own right but mm-hmm. there's something about knowing what your culture is isn't there and so you want to recruit for cultural fit 
Yeah, absolutely. So the, the employer brand, as you say, I mean, goodness, yeah, it, it could be a whole different, a whole separate podcast on its own. Um, but the employer brand is really, it's where it all starts. And it, you need to be thinking about that before you even start recruiting. Yeah. Um, but the, the first the first thing you do need to think about and be clear about really is what are the values of, of that organisation? What is the culture? Because that is what you want to portray. That is what you want to build into your brand. Um, you need to think about, you know, at the moment, what sort of reputation do you have in the market, both with with competitors, with other companies but, and with job seekers? And just thinking about what do you want to be known? What do you want to be known for? Um, you know, what what's it like to work there? But also, you know, uh, thinking about the industry, thinking about the field of the sector, you know, are you seen as a leader in your field? Uh, do you want to be seen in the leader, um, leader, a leader in your field? And how do you make sure that that's coming through to the people that you're talking about? The danger with employer brand is a lot of a lot of organisations, they will have an employer brand that has developed and evolved, but often without them really consciously thinking about that and putting that thought and effort in. And that's it's a really miss. It's a massively missed opportunity there. Um, so, you know, going back to those values, that that culture, what, what what are those values and how can you make sure that they flow through everything you do? And that's around not just when you actually put a job advert out there, but all of your social media channels, your website, is there consistency there? And then when it comes to recruiting, if you've got all of those aligned, you can then make sure that your job adverts and the way that you actually go about hiring and selecting people all match up with that as well. So that means whatever experience a candidate has, it doesn't matter whether they're successful in actually getting the role or not. If they've had a positive experience, they will take that out into the market and you can bet your life they'll be talking to other people about it on a similar vein. If they have a negative experience, again, that that will get shared out in the market as well. So that's, yeah, so that's really, a really I mean, that's almost something you might not even think about as part of recruitment. Right? That's that's the sort of yeah. the knock up. There's going to be more people that you don't take on than you do. And, and, and that. Yes. I mean, yeah. I'm thinking about how you how you reject people. We, we'll never we'll we're, we're all in it. We'll say too much out before we even get into the actual recruitment. So we'll go back into the theme here. Um, yeah. I suppose. Right. So here's the position. I'm a hiring manager, um, and um, I have identified a gap in my team that I want to recruit for. What would? Mm-hmm. How would you help me? So. First of all, it's about looking at what that role is. And the first thing I would say there is don't automatically think you just have to recruit somebody into the the same role. If somebody's resigned and they're moving on, the danger that many organisations fall into is they will, as we say, you know, recruit like for like. They simply go out and try and replace that individual. Um, that sometimes might might actually be the right thing to do. But this is a real opportunity for an organisation to actually look at that role and decide whether it's it's still the right role. So, you know, have market conditions changed or has the organisation, has the strategy taken a, a slight turn? And as a result of that, is this an opportunity to bring in a slightly different skill set, uh, a different level of experience or even, you know, different uh, specific market or sector experience that, that you didn't have before? So, so that I always think that's that's one of the first things that you do. And that's where HR and hiring managers can work really, really well to explore that together so that you know what it is that you're going to be looking for right at the outset. Yeah. So that and those are kind of your job related skills, I suppose, just looping back to what we talked about with cultural thing. What we found in in our business is let's say you've had someone who's left or wasn't a high performer. That helps us sometimes reflect on whether or not we also looked at the 
personality or the cultural so so that um yeah. so working in SME is entirely different to working in a corporate and mm-hmm. you know let's that, say so I'm um, someone who's a high performer in a corporate as may have come into an SME and actually they really struggled to deal with the uncertainty or the constant you know jumping around or vice versa and I suppose there's things like that on top you obviously have to start with the job role and what you need there but also think about those more personality based habits or experience based habits yeah. make a difference absolutely and that that's part of this whole process and it's a good example you gave funnily enough I was um I was talking with um a founder a couple of weeks ago about exactly this that they've they've lost two people who they thought they were spot on in terms of you know really highly experienced had really specific skills that they needed but they'd come from a larger organization and they got in and there was no structure there there was there was processes and they didn't have any people reports. to do stuff <laughs> yeah there were no formal reporting lines and it was a case of actually you you had to get involved and do, and do all sorts of different things and I'm so excited about this hire but actually what happened is that person was completely unsuitable and luckily it was it was a mutual decision where this this particular individual said I just can't work like this so that is an example of actually yeah. where they hadn't bothered to look at that that side of things and that can and that can be you know that's where you just don't get the right fit yeah and it's better to yeah, try not to learn that through trial and error yes Listen to this, yeah. learn from us don't learn through <laughs> trial and error so, so yeah, but, but on that note, yeah. So it's ta- it's looking at those skills. It's looking at um at what, what what you need, but the attributes as well, the style of working, and that's what you you know you will uncover in in that selection process. But it's about you know if you can you can develop a, a sort of a, a really robust uh, job description that's accurate as well. That's the other thing yes. is sometimes you know businesses will have job descriptions in place. They're often very generic. Uh, sometimes irrelevant or just purely inaccurate um so taking the time to really be clear about setting out what the purpose is what the scope of the role is the responsibilities the skills as well as some of the, those attributes you've talked about can can actually really help with the, with the success in terms of in terms of the, the um the hiring process and it sets it sets set, get my words out sets expectations clearly as well for both parties so Again, so you don't want people to say that's not the job I applied for and you get you yeah. repent at leisure. The other thing, um, and I know we'll go into adverts here, that occurs to me that we, I must have learned someone told me about this when I did NLP or something, but making sure that you appeal to the right language in the book. So let's say if I wrote an advert, I wouldn't be attracted to an advert for a detail, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want someone to do something, attention to detail, methodical, but language that would appeal and specifies the type of person that you need for that role. Whereas, you know, marketing, let's say you'll be creative and happy to um, deal with ambiguity mm-hmm. versus you know, methodical and detailed. Now, I might feel that I don't want to write methodical and detailed because that doesn't feel like what I'm attracted to. But actually, that's the person I want for the job. So mm-hmm. just thinking, having the adjectives that the right personality will, will be drawn to in, in that role. Um, absolutely and it's absolutely and and it's about transparency as well isn't it in terms of reflecting what 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 it actually will be like in in that particular role what what it is that that the person will be doing what what those skills are that they'll they'll need and it's it's also um, in terms of the the adverts it's thinking again though about that culture and, and those values as well and making sure that they are aligned and they're consistent and things like they're thinking about you know sometimes um an organization will you know, they want to sell a role because they want to get the right people in place so they'll set out some really funky job advert 
but the reality is actually very different when they when they come in as you say it actually might be a very very process driven role a very somebody that does need to be very methodical and if they haven't made that clear in the job advert you're not going to attract the right people who yeah. want to do that kind and of role and they come joining thinking they're joining google and actually exactly they're joining <laughs> siemens but uh, yeah. <laughs> speaking of companies that i've been to um so Right. So on that, so we're talking about the adverts, advertising. What do I need to think about with that kind of thing? So before you jump to the the advertising, what I would always suggest you do, and it's always worth taking the time at this point rather than further down um, down the road, is once you've got that sort of that job description, you've got the clear scope um, of the the role outlined, is it's actually to do some benchmarking first to figure out what is the kind of um, package that you're going to be able to, to offer and that you want to offer. Um, so that that's what you need before you start advertising, because you need to know what you're what you're going out with. And that, again, just on the benchmarking side, again, taking into account what we've just talked about. Don't recruit or replace like for like. Have a look at has the role changed? Don't automatically think, oh, it's going to be the same sort of package again. You need to have a look at what whether the role's changed. If it is similar again, don't just assume that it's going to be a similar salary. Have a look has the market moved on. Make sure that you do some ben- benchmarking, um, you know, thinking about the kind of talent. Is it that you're looking for a niche skill where you do need to pay a little bit more? Um, but also just being really clear as well on where you're pitching yourself in the market. It's, you know, different organisations will be at different stages in, the, in their own journey and they will have different budgets and things like that. It's not always just about the package. It's, it's uh, in terms of the, uh, the monetary side. It's, it's what you're offering as well, the opportunity. But taking the time to think about, right, well, if the, the market is paying this kind of range, where do I want to be? Am I sort of more mid-market or am I going to be one of those, those top percentile um, players? So doing that benchmarking before you go out to market is, is really, really critical. Um, and it just, it gives you the confidence that you're going to be, that you're going out to try and attract the right, the right people, first of all. Um, so yeah, so that that's the first thing. I think once you've got that clear in your mind, that's when you start looking at um, looking at actually um, going out going out to market. So you've got your job descriptions nailed. Then it's distilling it into right. How are you going to pull people in, and how you do that? How you um, sort of design that job advert if that's what you're using? It's going to depend very much on the platform that you're using as an organisation, and there's no right or wrong way here. So it could be that an organisation, again, sometimes this comes down to size, it comes down to to budget as well. But sometimes organisations, they don't even need to advertise. They can just utilise their own social media channels if they've got a really good presence there, if they've got a really good following. And that can be a really powerful way because you're reaching out to your network um, to promote a role. So if you're going down that route, it's probably going to be more of a, a job title, a short paragraph to get people's interest. If you're going to go down a more sort of formal option, so a lot of people obviously use LinkedIn or other job boards, that's typically where you would use something that looks a little bit more like a job description now. It's things change, actually, and it's funny when you look at, at how things have developed. And um, traditional job ads, they used to be a lot, a lot shorter. And then if you go onto LinkedIn now, people want a lot more information before they take the time to actually apply. So um, looking at some of those, they do provide a lot more detail. So it's, it's, it's you know, just thinking about what, what's going to be the right platform for you and making sure that the, the advert that you use is, is appropriate to that. Other people, you know, other organisations may decide, sometimes it's a combination, by the way, it's not always just one platform. Others may take a more sort of discreet but more proactive approach using sort of a search approach where you're approaching people directly, either through your own network, through your expanded network or through an agency or a headhunter. 
it's it's really about doing the research to find out what the best platform is for you. So where are your where is that potential talent looking at the moment? So it's understanding your own market um, and understanding what what's going to work best for you. Sometimes it's a bit of trial and error as well, to be honest. Um, but you you any sorry? Do you have any favourites or any sort of tips for smaller business? Uh, you know, smaller organisations, larger organisations. What's your yeah, so again, it's it really it really does vary depending on the sort of the, the reach and the network. Um, but certainly LinkedIn, I think, is a is a really good way to go. Um, obviously, if you can link in with your network as well and you've got people sharing things, that can be a really good source. They've also got some some you know some good cost-effective ways of advertising as well. There's whilst you can sign up to really expensive sort of um packages, they also have uh, recruiter light, which is which is a good one that I've used quite a lot. And you can manage and you can budget um, around your costs there as well. That works obviously for, for certain areas. Um, link, um, sorry, LinkedIn. Indeed is another one. That's actually, you can actually use that as a free version as well. And that gets out to, to different, different groups as well. Um, so that, that's another good one. Um, and that's another one where you do use, you tend to use a fuller job advert um, that gives, gives candidates a lot more information before they, they actually apply. Um, but again, you know, sometimes, Social media is is a fantastic way because you know you're using your brand um, to bring people in. You're using your network, so you've already got some of those connections there as well. So, and as I say, sometimes it's it's good to do a combination of all of those as well. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So we've we've um, we've got the job adverts. We've got people. Well, if we're doing the if we're managing our own job boards, then we've got probably quite a few, especially at the moment, applicants to to sift through haven't we mm-hmm. yeah so if we're yep. managing it all ourselves no one's helping us with that what would any tips on sifting screening yeah yeah absolutely and so you know with any of those those methods there's there's different ways obviously yes some organizations will will try and do it all themselves in-house others they may they find you know they may not um have hr support for sort of other areas but that's when they might reach out so that's where you know external hr professionals um, can offer quite a lot of support again you know and that will differ in terms of what each organization needs but regardless of how it's being done in terms of then moving to that selection process yes hopefully you've you've um, you know you've had success in attracting candidates and so now it comes to the time to actually start start looking through those and deciding right who, who, who to take forward so again it's thinking about the the roles and responsibilities there so is it the hiring manager who's going to be doing that? Is there HR support in the business? Will they be will they be managing that or or working with the hiring manager? Or will you be using somebody external? So uh, an HR, external HR, for example. Again, no, no right or wrong. But what, what it's really important at this stage to be thinking about is being really, really clear on what are you screening the applicants against and making sure that that closely aligns with the, with the job description. And it's about being objective as well. So thinking about at this stage, what are the key skills, experience that, that you need and looking at each application to see how, how they match up. Um, and it's, you know, this is this is at this stage where it's it can be easy to let some of that unconscious bias creep in. That's again another another separate podcast. Topic, yeah, no, yeah. so I won't go into <laughs> too much detail there, but where um where it can be really helpful here is where you try and challenge yourself. So thinking about, you know, what is it that you're looking for? Where can you see the evidence of that in their application and, and taking it from there? 
and again with this overall process you know try and decide this early on early on so that you can be you can be clear with candidates when they are applying and if they do follow up to say right this is the process that, that we're following but um just a few key tips is yeah thinking of some some questions set questions um to ensure consistency fairness but for, for all of the candidates um the first stage would would usually be sort of a screening interview, I would say, again, think about who might do that. Um, but again, you know, making sure that you've got set questions so that everybody's got the same opportunity, basically. Some organisations will use a scoring mechanism for that so that they can they they've got something to compare. Um, but my a, a big tip at this stage as well is when you are going through that interview process, is remembering that it's a two-way process. So a lot of um, hiring managers, sometimes if they haven't had as much experience, they might be a little bit more nervous, um, but sometimes this also happens with, with more experienced as well, is they forget that actually, especially these, these initial interviews, they're as much about the candidate finding out about the organisation and the role as it is about the the employer assessing them, so you're you you know you need to make sure that you're actually selling that organisation as well. So it's very much a, a two way um, a two way process. Well, if you think you've got your favourite candidate, and then they don't want to come on to the second interview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, and then just just thinking about as well, you know, as when you are interviewing people as well, just making sure that you're taking notes but remembering that you know you need to make sure that those are those are factual that you're not nodding not letting sort of uh, opinions creep in there and always have at the back of your mind that anything you're writing down are you happy for those to be shared with the candidate because they obviously can request those so just being just being careful there that's a good point yes we'll come back onto that there's what we can keep what we can't perhaps we'll make it have, have a chat about that at the end yeah having, having talked to mary about data and retention all these sorts of things <laughs> yeah so um, did you want me to say anything more just on the on the selection process? I'm, I'm conscious that was sort of a bit of a, a general, general. No, I think that over. makes sense. And also, actually, we have, we've got another podcast that we've done in the past, which is quite good on the competency-based interviewing. So I'll link that yes. for another one. So as always, you can link on that. All of these are topics in their own right, aren't they, that we can they are, go they off are, down yeah. rabbit holes. So no, exactly. okay, so let's assume that that's, that's the case. We've, um, we've gone through our screening and you're mapping against it. So then we've selected and offered or what what happens next so again it's you know again the process will be determined by the organization and, and by the role what it is that that you need to assess so it may be that you know usually there will be interviews involved but you might also use other selection methods um, that would be incorporated into the process so it may be things like assessment days presentations psychometric assessments for example it's thinking about how is what is the best way of assessing some of the skills that key skills for that role so thinking about those different options and again that's where hr can play a really a really important role in terms of going through some of those options and helping design some of those so that again you're you're getting all of the the most valuable information so that you can make you can make the right decision it needs to be um, robust doesn't it i mean do you have a thick view as to what the right number of interviews are. So your first one, especially at the moment, is going to be a screening. And I know yeah. we, we did, we've recruited for roles recently and the market being as it is, we had 400 applicants for a role. So we screened yeah. that down yeah. to, and we did it in, we screened that down to about 30 for the first stage. And we all took 10 and there was a 15 minute screening interviews. And then you got it down mm -hmm. to the shortlist. And then we yeah. did a sort of interview and then we did a, I'd say a mini assessment it wasn't really an assessment but we did a psychometric um, competency-based interview and a sort of presentation so we tried to look at the person in 
in more in multiple ways I suppose yes mm-hmm. and that and that's that's you know that's a really good way of doing it as you say mul- in looking at an individual in multiple ways it's you want to get as much information to assess how that person will actually fit and perform in, in yeah. that role um, and sometimes an interview on its own won't do that in terms of how many interviews again there's no right or wrong here but what you know one interview isn't really going to be enough especially if it's just that screening one but at the same time what you do need to be clear about uh, you need to think about is not making it too drawn out for the individual as well yeah. uh, for the candidate oh, as well you know I've, I've seen some companies where they've got candidates jumping through hoops you know four or five interviews a presentation here and, and then they don't it, make a decision or something like that, which is awful. Well, yeah, they don't make a decision. But then it's also recognising that especially, you know, if this if this is an individual um, who's got, you know, specialist skills, they don't need to wait around for that. They're going to be yeah. snapped up somewhere else. And so you risk the you risk losing a candidate because your process is too lengthy. Mm-hmm. So it's it's figuring out who are the key stakeholders that they need to meet um figuring out what is the what is the objective for each step in the process what value is it going to add and making sure that as as soon as you've 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 achieved that you're not then just you know adding in unnecessary steps that aren't really going to be helpful for anybody yeah yeah, definitely it makes a lot of sense the the other thing as well I was we we had I've had direct experience of uh, if you have, you know, especially because it's been remote interviewing, somebody can come over entirely differently on a second. You can think, oh, they're brilliant. And then yeah. you ask a different question, a different way, go, actually, they're completely wrong. Or, and then, yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you, so you do need to see them more than once and maybe get and get more than one. So you want the right number. You don't want every, they shouldn't have to see every Tom, Dick and Harry, but you need to have no. other viewpoints um, to assess against the same criteria. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's where sometimes, you know, again, it depends on the role, but um, that's where also if they are going to be a line manager, if they're going to, to manage a team, it's, you know, getting getting them to meet some of the team as well. That's one of the things that, that can be really helpful as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. But again, and also just on, on that, just going back again to um, the, the sort of the values and, and the culture as well. It's It's also looking at your process and making sure that it aligns with with that with that um, that culture. So you know, thinking about it, if you are a relaxed, very fun, very friendly organisation, but you have a really formal interview process with no focus on learning about the the candidates as individuals, you know, does that really fit? Is that really giving yeah. the candidate a feel for what the company is actually like? Um, and vice versa, if you've got a very very informal process. Um, and the person by the candidate buys into that and then, then actually they come on board and that's not how you work and it is very very structured and, and formal again there's that that misalignment yeah. there the other um point that i think it's worth just it's that i kind of i think we've learned where we haven't done it is mm-hmm. having that conversation with someone at the end if you think in that you think you like them and you, you've always got to ask, you've got to ask the same to all of them so you do see yeah. them consistently but it's more important if you think you like somebody to check whether they like you too so mm-hmm. we've at the end of say the the group interview sort of said yeah obviously any questions you want to ask us a bit more of the sales pitch on the business and then say you know if we were to offer would you take it or you know would you are you interested in sort of there and to gauge their reaction because I have had it where you know someone like well you know if it was part-time sometimes that uncovers stuff that you don't realize it's going to come and you might have gone that's my preferred candidate I'm going to offer to them and actually um 
they don't like you as much as you like them yeah. or <laughs> or they've got another offer they, 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 say, they say well actually I'm, I'm choosing between this and another offer sort of thing so mm-hmm. it's quite I think it's it's that close I suppose from a salesperson it's worth it is it's it's that close that and it's also it's a really good opportunity just to find out where they are in that job search as well as you've mentioned you know that's when they you could uncover that actually they're you know they're at final interview stage for you know with 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 somebody else and yes. okay so if you're right at the beginning of your process or or you know even further along sometimes what it can do is sometimes if it's been going on for a little while it's it's a really good nudge to say we need to speed this process up a little bit yeah. because we're going to lose out on a candidate so it gives you that yeah it just gives the you a bit it's, well, it's worth finding out where they are isn't it having that direct definitely. conversation definitely okay yeah. so so we then go to the point we want to offer to them what do we need to think about here so this is so once you've found the candidate that you know you think is going to be fantastic that's when you really need to make sure that the admin side doesn't let you down so this is where it goes back to you know making sure that it's a slick process by going at the right at the beginning of the process we talked about getting your benchmarking done but one thing I didn't mention but also thinking about again this will depend on on the organizations but thinking about are there any approval processes um you know approval to hire or getting salary sign off get that done early on mm. so that then once you've found your candidate you can move straight ahead you can make the offer you can make a swift offer you can get the paperwork out out to people so trying to make that as slick as possible because there's nothing worse than you've you've kind of worked through a really nice hiring process and then it all stalls because things you know things aren't in place and you need to you need to pause and and pull all of that together um it's also obviously important to make sure that um you know from an admin perspective and um a a legal perspective that you're doing all of the you know following a process um around you know are you doing your right to work checks so do they have the right to work in the uk um i know you did a you've you've just recorded um a podcast with uh with ruth on on immigration so i won't go too much into that but obviously (laughs) yes absolutely yeah with the new immigration rules that have been introduced any non-UK workers would need a sponsor license. They, you know, they don't automatically have um, the right to work in the UK if, they, if they're um, from the EU. So thinking about that. Um, and interestingly, many, many um, often wonder when's the right time to ask about the right to work? You know, can you ask people throughout the process? Um, you know, typically, it, it can be an idea to put on your job advert, for example, that um, you know the employer will require documentary evidence of the right to the work work in the UK. Others will wait until um, you know the 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 offer stage to to request those documents. If you are asking questions around that, all I would say is just you just make sure that you're asking everybody, um, regardless um, every, everybody about the right to work, so that there aren't any sort of potential discrimination claims there. So that's just one thing. And then thinking about the background checks that um, that you'll you might do um, when when onboarding somebody. So a lot of organisations now have moved away from the sort of the traditional um, reference requests. Now I think we've all seen they they're usually quite generic now, where you just get a line of you know they worked they worked here from X date to X date. Um, so they don't you know they don't often um, add a lot of value. So a lot of companies now, a lot of organisations will will conduct background checks to verify who it is that they're they're offering. Uh, verify their experience any qualifications they can do the right to work checks and the FSA checks for example um, and HRI does actually partner with um, with Verifile to offer this service so it, it, it takes that admin part away as well for, for organizations and you can just be really confident that the person you're bringing on board is who they say they are and they have all of that that yeah. um, 
qualifications that they need. So that's in terms of the, the offer. Another really key thing to think about as well, and this is another area where potentially um, organisations can fall down, is you can have a fantastic hiring process. You can, um, you know, that's all run very smoothly. And then you get the offer out and the communication stops. So always make sure that, you know, once that offer's gone out, keep in regular contact with them, keep in touch with them between the extension of that offer to actually when they arrive on their first day so that they come on board still feeling engaged and positive. And then make sure as well, it's that, you, you touched on it before actually, Lucinda, you know, the onboarding, the induction process, that's what sets people up to succeed. And that's, you know, it's, it's, a, key, it's a key thing to think about. So bringing them on board, how are you going to get them up to speed? How are you going to make, welcome them into the organisation? How are you going to make them feel comfortable and feel like they know where to go to get information? All of those kind of things. And if, if that's a really positive experience, then you really are, again, sort of maximising your chances that that person's going to start delivering quickly and also be happy and engaged. Yeah, and that point about almost pre-boarding, particularly if let's say they've got a three-month notice, so that's quite a long time to cool off, isn't it? Uh, and I it think is. that you can if you can send over bits of information, bits of uh, videos, learning and stuff that yeah. are probably quite motivated, which would be onboarding stuff, that actually if you're bombarded with it all at the, at the time, on you know, yeah. day one is a bit tedious but, but when you're excited about a new job it all counts staying in touch so I think that's kind of working smart yeah. if you think about what you mm -hmm. can send over um, definitely there. definitely so again other the topics aren't they those go on, sorry they are they are I was just going to say as well and in terms of that that induction process as well um it's just like you say don't just have that as literally just information overload because mm. if you ask a lot of people if they have gone through one of those sort of traditional induction processes or inductions you know how much of that information have they actually retained <laughs> and it's it's not always a huge amount so making sure that that induction as well is is well structured it's not you know it sometimes it's better to have it over a period of time and thinking about what what is it that that new hires need to know and will benefit from and structuring it around that and again making sure that it fits with your culture so uh, you know I've seen so many organizations where the reality of the day-to-day -day is that it's a really fun lively place to work yet they still insist on putting a new hire in a conference room for two days staring at a powerpoint presentation to tick that box so yeah, you know yeah. try and get away from that fair point okay so great we've got them there being positively on board all those sort of things um is there anything else we need to consider um, so in terms of other things to consider, I would say, yes, you've got your, you know, hopefully that candidate has accepted and is coming on board, but also don't forget to feed back to those people that, you know, potentially weren't successful because you know what, we've talked about the employer brand, they will go out and talk about their experience. So try and make it a positive one. So if there is feedback that you can give, if there is constructive feedback that you can give, you know, take the time to do that. It can be, it can be so helpful to people. Um, you know, and I know that some organisations, they sometimes worry about providing feedback, thinking, oh, gosh, is it going to open me up to challenge here? Or am I going to get lots of questions or even worse, am I going to get a potential claim of discrimination? And so because of that, won't go down the route of providing yeah. any feedback. Um, and that's a shame because constructive feedback, as I say, it can be incredibly beneficial and rewarding to, to candidates. They can choose to take that on board and that will then help them in other interviews. But as I say, it really helps you in terms of developing that, that employer brand. If they feel that, OK, they haven't got the job this time, but they've been treated with, with respect and they've learned something, then that's a real positive and it will leave them with a positive impression. But the other thing is as well, and it's important to remember, they may not have been right for that role, but they may be right for another role in the future. 
Yeah. And if you've built that relationship with them and something comes up in the future, you know that they will they will come forward or you could potentially even approach them as well. So taking Absolutely. the time to, to think back, I think, is, 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 a, is a really important one. OK, fantastic. So um, that was that was saying a thorough, a thorough go through that you have covered a huge amount. So don't worry you're listening to this and say so we will direct you to the HRI website where you can download <laughs> a, a guide to this I feel like we covered two th- well a bit of employer brand you got there as extra bonus points there didn't we as well so that's <laughs> employer brand demystification plus there are so many spin-off topics I haven't really thought about there's competency-based yeah, interviewing there there's um, unconscious yeah. bias we need to do something on that maybe um, yeah there's a bit of data protection stuff got to be careful about yeah, uh, yeah, you know, in, in right to work stuff of which we have got a podcast yeah. on mm-hmm. as well. So there's loads of things that spin off this, but um, that was definitely comprehensive, Katie. So thank you so much for such a thorough overview. It's great having you on the HR <laughs> Absolute as ever, I'll, I'll direct Katie McMinn and we'll direct all of the links will be on hruprising.com and we'll link over to the HRI website as well. So you can get those downloads if you'd like them. Thank you for listening. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.